0: Welcome to the Truth in My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men.
1: Hello. Today, we have Sonia interviewing John about textual criticism. This is the field of study through which we can know the original text of the New Testament. We are continuing from the previous episode today. Now, this scholar in the early 20th century named Hermann Hoskier decided to do a side-by-side comparison of these two. Codex Sinaiticus and Codex Vaticanus. They're supposed to be the best, so they should be very close to each other. They're, They're keeping for us, preserving for us the most reliable text. And so they should be generally in agreement with each other. No scribe is perfect. There are going to be differences, but there shouldn't be many. So he was going to go through the entire New Testament and flag all of the differences between these two manuscripts. He didn't think he would find many. He ended up filling two huge volumes. He didn't. He ignored trivial ones like spelling differences. But he ended up filling two huge volumes by the time he'd reached the end of the gospel books. He didn't even get to the rest of the New Testament. In these two, he found them contradicting each other more than 3,000 times in the gospel books alone. More than 3,000, 3,036 to be precise, significant disagreements between Sinaiticus and Vaticanus. And that actually exceeds the number of times they agree with each other. Which means, by the way, that they should not really even be classified as belonging to the same text type. So what does that do to the to the idea that these are the earliest and best manuscripts?
2: Well, at least one of them has to be wrong and can't be the best.
1: Exactly. If they disagree with each other, in the gospel books alone, 3,036 times. That either means one is perfect and the other is wrong 3,036 times. Or the other one is right and the, the first one is wrong 3,036 times. Or, or each of them is wrong 1,518 times or so. But how could you know?
2: But if one of them is perfect, then that one doesn't have the resurrection.
1: But how do you know? How can you say these two are the earliest and the best? When you have all these disagreements,
2: I guess you can maybe only say they're the earliest.
1: Exactly, you can't say they're the best. And and it, the idea that one of them is is perfect and the other is really bad, that that's already been undercut by what we saw from Bergen's analysis. Codex Vaticanus omits words or whole clauses one thousand four hundred ninety-one times.
2: Unless unless it can be argued that <laughs> all the other manuscripts later added whatever was missing,
1: and is figure throughout with repetitions. So, Vaticanus cannot be the best, cannot be perfect. Codex Sinaiticus, same thing, abounds with errors of the eye and pen. On many occasions, 10, 20, 30, 40 words are dropped through, and so on. So, you can't even argue that, well, one of them is perfect. We don't know which one, but one is and the other isn't. They are both extremely carelessly copied manuscripts. So, if we're trying to get back to the original, you, you can't base it on these. You can't base it on manuscripts that are so that were so carelessly copied. But you need to get rid of the resurrection. So liberal scholars blithely ignored this this fact, they ignored what Bergen found, ignored what Hoskier found. Not only did Sinaiticus and Vaticanus give them what they wanted, a means to discredit the resurrection, but by pushing these as the earliest and best manuscripts, their corrupt nature gave them plenty of opportunities to find shorter readings, more difficult readings, readings that create discrepancies with other quoted or parallel material that they could claim was the, were the original readings and thus insert more errors into the actual text of the Bible. So it was a scam. Evangelicals, strangely, continue to follow along with this scam to this very day.
2: How come they didn't realize it was a scam at the time that the manuscripts were discovered?
1: Because very, very, very few scholars, and and this is something we'd have to talk about on the day as well, but very few scholars actually examine things firsthand. People assume that if you're a scholar, you've, you've studied all the details of this, you've gone into arguments from both sides, and you've done a careful and detailed analysis, and you haven't. The reality is you've gone to seminary, you sat in a class, they told you these facts, and you accepted it without question. Okay? So once that becomes the party line, that's what happens. And it's not just in textual criticism. It's in many, many different parts of scholarship. And that's why I said that big problem for evangelical scholarship is they have accepted so many of the liberal presuppositions. Why liberals got the... On the, on the ground floor on these things and set the presuppositions is something we can talk about in a different discussion. But that is what happened. And, and people assume when, when a scholar says these things, and it's in his book, that he has examined the facts. He really hasn't. He, he has been told these in seminary. He's accepted it. He's been told, here's the evidence. Things like, well, the, the shorter reading is preferable, and they will just spout that back. But they have not examined the facts. When they tell you that Sinaiticus and Vaticanus are the earliest and most reliable manuscripts of the New Testament, uh, they they believe that. That's what they heard. They never questioned it. But it's not it's not true. And sometimes they will say things that just really make you need to shake your head. Daniel Wallace, for example, commenting on Sinaiticus and Vaticanus, says they both have so many disagreements. So so he knows that they contradict each other 3,036 times. Does he conclude this means they're not reliable? No. He says they both have so many disagreements with each other that they must go back to a common ancestor that goes very far back into the second century.
2: Uh, Why assume that they even have a common ancestor? Why can't... I, I mean, if earlier on they were saying that there are all these different text types, why can't they be in different text types?
1: Well, the comment makes no sense at all. They could have started with the original text and each of them makes so many mistakes. But when you sit and think about it, you're saying these are so bad, they must be good. But the fact that they're so sloppy, the fact that they're so full of mistakes somehow proves that they're actually good. They actually go back to the second century. Okay? When you think about it, all manuscripts have a common ancestor. Okay? That goes very far back. It goes back to the first century, the original. That answer, the ancestor of all manuscripts, is the autograph. And how reliable each manuscript is depends on how carefully the chain of copying was done from the ancestor to that. In the case of Sinaiticus and Vaticanus, with all their errors, they weren't done carefully. And that makes them not reliable. It doesn't mean that, hey, they, they, they're based on something in the second century. That just It makes no sense. So once these manuscripts were discovered, the next step, then, was to enhance the credibility of Vaticanus and Sinaiticus. These were described as being members of the Alexandrian text type. You remember we talked about how liberal scholars had divided all the manuscripts into text types. So these were proclaimed to be members of the Alexandrian text type. And it was necessary to promote this text type, with all its variations and discrepancies, as the best one. In other words, the one closest to the original New Testament text. And to do that, it was necessary to destroy its rival, the Byzantine text type. We mentioned that one as well.
2: Weren't there at least three families mentioned?
1: There was the Western one. But as I say, there's only one Greek manuscript that, that is classed as Western they, they tend to class Latin manuscripts as Western, but there's only one Greek manuscript. So they will say that it's better than the Byzantine, but really it's the Alexandria one that they concentrate on as being closest to the original, and the Byzantine is the one they want to get rid of. That's that's 95 or so percent of the manuscripts that are, are carefully copied. They agree with each other. They, there's not these kind of crazy contradictions among them that you see in Vaticanus and Sinaiticus. And they don't have the errors in them. They're not missing the last 12 verses of Mark. And so we got to get rid of them, write them off as secondary. And we saw that liberal scholars claim that this was actually done by Lucian in the fourth century. But along then come two British scholars, Brooke Foss Westcott and Fenton John Anthony Hort. And it was in 1881 that they wrote a seminal book on this. And in this book, they gave reasons to value the Alexandrian texts above the Byzantine. Now, their main argument was what they called the genealogical method. They acknowledged that 90, 95% manuscripts are Byzantine. But they said, well, we can't assume that the majority is right. Why can't we assume them? Because... Many manuscripts may be copied from the same original, so they're not independent witnesses to the original text. In other words, suppose we have 11 manuscripts, and 10 of them agree on a variant, and one of them disagrees. And you might think, well, the the 10 probably got it right, because all 10 of them have that. Well, Wescon Hort said, but wait a minute, what if all 10 of those were copied from the same exemplar? then it's not really ten against one, it's really just one against one. And this is why I said, so you can't assume that the majority are right. Instead of counting the manuscripts, he said, and you'll hear this from textual critics all the time, we don't count manuscripts, we weigh manuscripts. We're good they are. So what Westcott and Hort said is we must study their genealogical tree. Instead of just counting them, we have to look at which one was copied from which. And so if you have like 10 copied from the same one, once we've looked at the genealogical tree and we see that all 10 of them were copied from this one, it has a weight of only one. If we study all the put the Byzantine manuscripts, we put together them into a genealogical tree and we see it all goes back to one exemplar written by Lucene of Antioch in the 4th century, then we know it's not the original and we can chuck them all out. So this is what they said you have to do. You look at the genealogy of the manuscripts. You look at the tree putting together what was copied from what. And this approach, they said, proves that the Byzantine text is a later corrupted form of the New Testament text. And that was the main accomplishment then of Westcott and Hort. Bruce Metzger, who's one of the most highly respected textual critics for a long time, He speaks of, quote, the force of the genealogical method by which the later conflated text is demonstrated to be secondary and corrupt. Westcott and Hort on the genealogical method said, we have passed beyond purely numerical relations and the necessity of examining the genealogy of both the minority and the majority has become apparent. They admitted that a theoretical presumption indeed remains that a majority of extant documents is more likely to represent a majority of ancestral documents at each stage of transmission than vice versa. But this presumption is too minute to weigh against the smallest tangible evidence.
2: Oh, uh, it sounds get... like they're the ones making presumptions, actually.
1: No, no. They're doing they're showing by the genealogical method that that this is what you have to go by, not by the numbers,
2: but by the genealogy. But how can you really prove who, which was copied from which? Ooh, well, that's actually a very, very good question.
1: And this shows that what West Conhort did was a complete scam. They said what you have to do is build a genealogical tree of the manuscript. They never did that. They never in their thick book ever did a genealogical tree of New Testament manuscripts. All they did was hypothetical trees to show that, oh yes, you, you, 10 might have been copied from one, which everybody already knows. But they never built a genealogical tree of New Testament manuscripts and it can't be done. There's simply not enough of them. We have now 5,800 or so of them.
0: Thank you everyone for listening today. Unfortunately, we have run out of time, but please join us for the next part tomorrow. Same time and same place. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. We would love to hear from you.